I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading the book of Nahum, all three chapters. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Let's begin with an introduction to Nahum, which we find in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. So Nahum 1.1 introduces the book of Nahum. It's an oracle. The King James and New King James Version calls that uh, a burden. It's an oracle against Nineveh. Nineveh was the seat of the Assyrian Empire who overcame Israel in 721 B.C. They also overcame Judah, but they were never able to penetrate Jerusalem. Nahum is prophesying between the fall of the northern kingdom Israel to the Assyrians and the final fall of the southern kingdom Judah to the Babylonians. And since Ethiopia and Egypt are seen as having already fallen to the Assyrians in Nahum chapter 3 verse 9, then it seems likely that this prophecy was issued after 664 BC following the demise of Egypt. Babylon was able to break free from the Assyrians in 626 BC. The Assyrian Empire itself fell to the Babylonians in 609 BC. This oracle is then given prior to that event. We don't know anything about Nahum beyond what is written in this book. He probably lived in Judah at the time of this writing, but that's not certain either. The location of his hometown cannot be determined with any certainty. So let's begin now with chapter 1, verse 2. Nineveh, God is going to judge you. That's the theme here. Verse 2. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe, and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you, and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer out of the house of your gods. 
I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Well, God had spared Nineveh a century before when Jonah went to them and preached. They received his message of salvation at that time. But you know how corruption is. A century later, here we are, facing the same societal rejection of God. Now, by comparison, just consider how much America and Europe have changed socially between 1900 and 2000. These verses are aimed squarely at Nineveh's sin. And many scholars are certain that verse 11 is a direct reference to Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria when Nahum writes. He writes this, "...from you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord." a wicked counselor. Now, if that's a direct reference to Sennacherib, then verses 12 and 13 are specific to Sennacherib as well. There is where we have a quick word to Judah about the Assyrians' dominance over them and its soon cessation. It was Sennacherib who marched into Israel and Judah, but failed to overcome Jerusalem in 2 Kings 18, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. That, coupled with the two verses that follow, would seem to quite conclusively refer to Sennacherib specifically. However, there's a problem with that assumption, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Here's what makes that prophecy particularly interesting. King Josiah began his reign over Jerusalem in 640 B.C. That's recorded in 2 Kings 22, 2 Chronicles 34. He was only eight years old at the time, but he began seeking the Lord himself when he was 16 and began making reforms when he was 20. Even though the northern kingdom and Judah, except for Jerusalem, had been conquered by the Assyrians 80 or so years earlier, Josiah pulled them all together with his reforms. Due to Assyria's weakened hold on the territory after the Babylonian revolt in 626 BC, Josiah actually was able to unify them, one Israel, just as in the old days. With that in mind, look closely at verse 13. It says, For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. Now, if that's speaking directly of Sennacherib, who was assassinated in 681 B.C., then the complete fulfillment of this prophecy takes place over the next 61 years when Josiah's unification project came to fruition. However, we see in Nahum chapter 3, verse 9, that Ethiopia and Egypt had been conquered by Assyria apparently previous to the writing of this prophecy. Now, we know from extra-biblical sources that Egypt did not fall until 664 B.C. That's 17 years after the death of Sennacherib. So it seems more likely that while Sennacherib may be implied in Nahum's prophecy here, his death had, well, looks like already taken place. Sennacherib's failed attempt at conquering Jerusalem had made him the poster child for God's power during this portion of Israel's history. In verses 14 and 15, we see Nahum pronounce the end to Assyria. Verse 15 is again directed to Judah, the good news that Assyria's days are numbered. Then in chapter 2 of Nahum, we see the destruction of Nineveh, verse 1. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are made red. 
The valiant men are in scarlet, the chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation, and the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the streets, they jostle one another in the broad roads, they sing like torches, they run like lightning, he remembers his nobles, they stumble in their walk, they make haste to her walls, and the defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are opened, and the palace is dissolved. It is decreed, she shall be led away captive, she shall be brought up, and her maidservant shall lead her as with the voices of doves beating their breast. Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. Take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts and the knees shake. Much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where the lion walked the lioness and his lion's cub, and no one made them afraid. The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lioness, filled his caves with prey and his dens with flesh. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messenger shall be heard no more. Well, this chapter prophesies the complete destruction of Nineveh, the seat of the Assyrians. As we stated, they fell to the Babylonians in 609 B.C., and this was written at some point prior to that event. It's believed that Huzab was queen of Assyria. Her capture is prophesied in verse 7. Complete destruction is prophesied in verse 10 when it says, She is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts and the knees shake. Much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. The capital city is pictured as the lion's den in verses 11 and 12. In chapter 3, we see not just defeat, but humiliation. Verse 1, Woe to the bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. Because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries, behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforts for you? Are you better than no Ammon? That was situated by the river that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubim were your helpers, yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces. At the head of every street, they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken... 
They fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locust. Make yourself many like the swarming locust. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts, and your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day when the sun rises, they flee away, and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? Well, the bloody city of verse 1 is a reference to Nineveh, the seat of the Assyrian Empire. This is validated when Nineveh is mentioned by name in verse 7. Mere defeat is not enough for those Assyrians. Only utter humiliation will do for these bad, bad people as we see in verse 6 when it says, I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. Their future is compared to the helplessness of Ethiopia and Egypt in verse 9. Those two nations have been conquered by the Assyrians in 664 B.C. Notice all the humiliating references made about the demise of Assyria in this chapter. There's a politically incorrect reference, at least by today's standards, to fighting women in verse 13. Fighting women were considered nearly useless during that era. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.